0: Hello, everyone. This is Marnie, and I just want to give a short disclaimer before you listen to or choose to listen to this episode, which is all about healthy sexuality. We um, we recorded this episode a while ago, and we've sat on it for a while because Dwayne and I were a bit concerned about the fact that this could be triggering to a lot of our listeners. So the truth is, we're going to ask anybody who has recently had discovery or who's in acute crisis, or has not begun the process of relational healing and is, you know, where there's no safety established, where there's still active abuse or integrity abuse issues going on, not to listen to this episode. But for those of you who are at a place in your relational healing, where you want to start talking about healthy sexuality and how to reintegrate sex after betrayal, this is really for you. So again, please think about where you are in your process before making a decision about whether or not to listen to this episode. So again, please take care of yourself and make the best decision for you.
1: Welcome to the Helping Couples Heal
0: podcast,
1: a place for healing and hope for couples impacted by betrayal resulting from infidelity and or sex addiction. Your hosts are Marnie Breaker and Duane Osterland, licensed marriage and family therapists, certified sex addiction therapists, and founders of respective treatment centers in Long Beach, Los Angeles, and San Diego, California. Marnie and Duane co-created Helping Couples Heal, a comprehensive program for couples recovering from betrayal trauma, including an in-person two-day workshop, an online aftercare program, and this podcast series is the first component of the program. Thank you for listening. Marnie and Dwayne are committed to helping you recover from the devastating impact of betrayal trauma and are honored to support you wherever you may be in your healing. If you've lost hope, you've come to the right place. Now, take a slow, deep breath, and let's begin with the Helping Couples Heal podcast.
0: Welcome back, everybody, to the Helping Couples Heal podcast. This is Marnie, and I am here with Dwayne. And today we have a really special guest. You know, it's interesting. The last guest that we had, Dwayne, was uh, Neil Strauss, who we interviewed, right? right? And I actually met today's guest through Neil. So before quarantine, when, you know people went out and socialized in person and did things. Uh, Neil would have these dinners out in Malibu at the Soho Soho House and he included me one time. I actually thought Neil and I were going to have dinner alone and was really surprised that there were a group of people there. I didn't know anybody (laughs) and it was such an interesting group of people and one of them was our guest today and of course we ended up talking about all things sex. And she ended up having me on her podcast and now yeah. here she is coming on to ours. So today I'm excited to introduce Emily Morse. And Emily is a sex therapist and an author and a media media personality. She's had the um, Sex with Emily podcast for the past 15 years. In fact, they just celebrated, I believe, their 15th anniversary, which is pretty spectacular. <laughs> and I'm just thrilled to have you here, Emily. Welcome.
2: Thank you for having me. I'm really looking forward to our conversation. Us too.
3: Definitely. Thank you so much for coming on.
2: Of course. So Dwayne and I were thinking, who
0: better to come on and talk about healthy sexuality um, than you? Because you, um, this is what you do for a living. I mean, you talk about sex all the
2: time. All the time. Twenty four seven.
0: Right. So I figured, let's let's get you on and let's have a really open conversation about sex and sexuality, which is actually a very painful topic in many ways for a lot of our listeners, for our audience, because many people thought that they had great sex lives or connected sex lives prior to the discovery of betrayal. Um, Some realize now in hindsight that they never did and are fearful that they'll never have that. Like, how can I go from this sort of trauma to having healthy sex? And so- I just want to say to those people listening that we understand that this is a sensitive topic. We
2: also understand that it's a topic that needs to be talked about. Yeah,
3: absolutely.
2: Yeah, people. I mean, I, I found that you know it's interesting. After 15 years, I always say you pipe, communication is a lubrication. I've been saying that for 15 years. The more that we talk about sex, that's kind of my fun. Who so can remember this? But is if the more we talk about sex, the healthiest sex, healthier sex we're going to have. And when I say that. It's communication around sex, but it's also first understanding our own relationship to sex. How, what was it like when we were growing up? What were the messages we got around being sexual? Was it shamed? Was it celebrated? Did we have a history of, of abuse? You know, have we, you know, just kind of unpacking all of that, like what does sex actually mean to us? And then once you do that, most people, I mean, again, this is something that a journey that I think a lot of us need to go on to have healthier sex. And then we get into relationships sometimes. And perhaps we grew up somewhere where it was very shamed, you know, don't have sex until marriage or masturbate, you know, every masturbation is wrong and all these things. And then you get into a relationship and you realize, I, I kind of, I would love, I, I want something different or maybe sex is painful or I'm not really experiencing anything that feels very good right now, but we don't know how to talk about it. It's literally like we don't even know the first words to say. And so we just stay silent and so many people silently suffer through really, really traumatic sexual experience are just not satisfying, no pleasure.
3: Yeah, there's sometimes there's so much shame around it that to even maybe you have these desires that you think are wrong or bad. So you don't say anything, you keep them to yourself. And that kind of can come out sideways.
2: Exactly. Shame is a huge, it's a huge one. I mean, we don't even sometimes we don't even realize it, right? It's just we just think, well, if I am sexual, therefore it means I'm wrong. So if I initiate, if I even talk about it, if I show my partner what I want, you know, this makes me, you know, a bad person and um, being sexual never feels authentic. You know, what's so ironic about that is that so
0: when somebody's fantasizing about something that they feel is shameful, right? And, And that's just because of their own stuff that they're bringing in from whatever they experienced in childhood or right, or what they made up about sex from the messages they got. So if they're fantasizing about something that they feel their partner would judge them for, they're going to just not share it. They're going to keep it secret. And then they might actually, you know, that's what they're fantasizing about and keeping their partner out. But when the partner finds out, they're actually insulted and upset. Like you locked me out of that. You didn't bring me into this. You didn't share this part of your life with me, right? Like that could have been something that we can connect with, or at least I would
2: could know you. Yeah. That's such a great example because it's exactly what happens. And what we found is most the most of the concerns that we have, most of the shame we have and the, the negative self-talk we have around sex Once you bring that to light and you learn how to have a healthy conversation with your partner, I found the majority of people say their sex life has flourished, that their partner is accepting, that their partner says, well, tell me more about that. Let's figure out a way. Oh, you have that fantasy. Here's something that I've been thinking about. And then their, their sex life, and then it's like day one. And then they can really start to build from there. But it's this moment, it's this fear. It's like, how well, then how do I start? How do I say it? We build so much in our head, so much anxiety and worry we're going to be judged. And then we just we just shut it down. So people really, you know, I just want to give people permission that it's okay to talk about it. There's time, I always say it's timing, tone, and turf. There's I have certain rules around when you should talk about it. You don't wanna bring it up when you're angry and when you're upset. And, you know, if, 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 you know, when you're frustrated with your partner again, you don't wanna bring it up, you know, turf, or you don't wanna bring it up in the bedroom. I always say turf. It's like, do it when you're hanging out, when you're having dinner, maybe you're on a road trip and you're driving. So it still might be an awkward conversation, but you don't have to make eye contact. You know, I have all these little hacks for people to, to make it easier. And then your tone has to be light and curious, not like, I want to tell you something, but I don't think, I think you're going to judge me or I feel awful about it. And you can even practice this with a therapist or in the mirror, writing it out and just say, and the curious tone is more an open and casual you know, I realized we haven't really talked about our sex life. And I I would love for us to be the most incredible lovers to each other. Would you be open to, you know, talking about some of our fantasies? Is that something you'd be into? Because I've had some things that, you know, I have something that I fantasize about and I'd love to share it with you. And you can take it as slow as you want. Sometimes the first conversation is, let's talk about being great lovers. What's the top three most memorable times we have had sex? I'll tell you mine. And that could even be informative. Maybe it was a time... Somebody almost, you know, someone walked in on you. So maybe there's a little bit of a, you know, voyeuristic thing, you know, to it. Or maybe it's a time that it was on spontaneous or on vacation and you felt really relaxed. And so even just having those clues as to what sex, when it was actually really good, could be a great jumping off point for talking about other things like fantasies, desires, pleasure. And then, um, yeah, timing, tone, turf. Just remember
0: that. So I would, what I would say, like I'm thinking about our listeners, right? And what they might be thinking as they're listening. And for a lot of our listeners, sex got damaged as a result of betrayal. So even that exercise, which you just talked about, which I think is so important for couples to be able to have that really awesome, curious, open conversation about sex and being great lovers for a lot of partners. As soon as you start talking about it, they remember the sexual betrayal. They might say, wait, you did those things with other people or the idea of voyeurism might bring up some of the exactly. sexual betrayal, right? And what happens. So it's such a complicated issue. I think sex is, as we've said, hard enough to talk about when it's just
2: sex. And it, you know, for a quote unquote, healthy, normal relationship. Right. Exactly. Well, it's a spectrum. It's funny when you're talking about it, I think about like cooking, right? Like sex is almost like cooking, watching a a cooking show. And you have to start, like, I don't know how to cook. I can't slice vegetables. I couldn't just go into a more advanced cooking show. I want the one that's like beginner, like, how do you slice the vegetables? What does it mean to boil something or to brine? I have no idea. So you got to meet people where they're at. If you have experienced sexual assault or you've experienced sexual trauma, I mean, I, I honestly believe that that therapy is the very best way. Finding a trusted practitioner who specializes in assault or trauma is the way to go. So then you can learn, then you can unpack it for yourself before you even bring it to a partner. And, and if there's, I know there's a lot of resistance around it. And the more time sometimes it goes by after an assault or a trauma, people think, oh, well, I'm already past it or it happened 10 years ago. But the truth is, as we know, if we repress it, it can fester, and sometimes it just gets, you know, worse over time. So I think it's absolutely a matter of, of doing some really good work around it, even before. And then when you do bring it up to a partner, it's someone you feel safe with. It's someone you have a relationship with. I don't, I don't believe it's second date or first date conversation with a new person because you really want somebody who can hold space and who can help you and who can, who's willing and who, who's a willing partner to work with you on it.
3: Yeah, and and as you were talking, I was thinking about. You know uh, our listeners and and that basic really sense of safety that has to be developed before sometimes these very vulnerable conversations can take place we got to yeah. develop that safety
2: safety is so key in relationships you realize it too if whether you've had you know trauma or you haven't had trauma you know a lot of so so many studies have shown that women in particular report having the most satisfying sex when they're when they feel safe and when they're with a trusted partner. And so I just think that's something to think about. Like it's okay if you're not someone who's like one night stand or you want to have, you know, casual sex gets so much hype these days, but it is not for everyone. And really. you know, and I'm I'm just thinking also like somebody who listened to what you just said about
0: safety being the most important thing for great sex, right? And the most satisfying sex, I imagine a lot of partners who've been betrayed might feel angry hearing that cuz it's true. Like you stole that from me. Right. I don't feel safe now and I shouldn't feel safe because you have you have undermined my safety, you've put me in danger, you've jeopardized my safety. So now I've lost that. Now I have to do all this work to become safe, to be able to, you know, rediscover my sexuality again and reconnect and reclaim that. Exactly. And it's funny, there's
2: so many ways that safety can be can be broken in a really or, you know, trust, you know, it could even be money issues, you know, I felt safe with you. And now, you know, you spent all of our money, or you told me you were, you know, working this day, and you didn't work, even if it wasn't a, an affair. So it really is pervasive. And I found after talking to so many people that when safety is broken, or someone set something up, you know, There's expectation in the relationship and it gets broken. It can just be really hard to get yourself into the mindset that this is somebody, I still wanna be sexual with my partner. You know, when, when we have trust issues or we have, you know, anxiety around the relationship or stress, it's really hard to be in an anxious mind in a worried state and then feel your, your best, most healthy sexual self that don't go together.
3: Well, you can't let passion flow if you're, if you're restrained emotionally, in some ways you exactly. can't, it's like, I kind of see it as um, play, right? When, when we play, we're free. We're not, we're not, we're not thinking, we're not trying to censor ourselves. We can be open. We can we can be comfortable and, spontaneous. and we can spontaneous, spontaneous and allow ourselves to exist in that space. But to do that, yeah, that safety has to be there on some level or, and it doesn't have to, like, I think what you said earlier, a spectrum, you build it piece by piece, you, yeah. you create it over time.
2: Yeah. And even if you have it, it's, it's interesting because you, it is, it is piece by piece and then also it changes. So I think it's, Over time in a relationship or in your lifetime, what you wanted in your 20s, you might not want in your 30s, our bodies change, our relationships change. And so I think for couples to get into a place where they can actually have healthy dialogue around sex that is ongoing, you know, throughout the span of a relationship where it's like check-ins. It's often, it's like, you know, and what I found is so many couples after they bridge this gap and they get their, their language down for talking about sex, they actually look forward to it. It becomes something fun, like, you know, planning their summer vacation. They're like, what are we going to do in the next quarter for our sex life? I would love to see people get to that point. But really it just, um, it starts with just recognizing where you're at. And even, you know, what comes a lot is, is couples who just have, you know, mismatched libidos. That's a very common one, right? The high desire partner and a low desire partner, but usually we just assume, well, I I never want it and my partner wants it, but why getting into the, well, you know, because a lot of times what happens is, let's say we're somebody who's the one who's constantly rejecting our partner because we're not in the mood. Well, our partner takes that and assumes they did something wrong. You know, they're not desirable anymore. What do they do? They're no longer attractive. But if you just say, you know what? I've been experiencing pain lately, or I've had a lot of stress, or I'm getting these flashbacks to this traumatic experience. It's just—it's such a healthier way to go about it, and that's actually going to be the key to healing so much of what's holding us back from sexual, healthy sexual expression. So,
3: I have a question. When you, when you talk about healthy sexuality, I think for a lot of our listeners, and even in our in our society and culture, there's not a lot of discussion. So, we don't even know sometimes what that looks like. Right. Like, what are the elements? Of a healthy sex life, how how would you know you had a healthy sex life?
2: That's a it's a great question. You're right. It's really even even the term sexual health and wellness is a fairly new you know term that we talk about. You know, you go to you go to the drugstore and there's a sexual health and wellness you know aisle that wasn't around ten years ago. Um, so. I, well I always start what I think about being sexually healthy, I, I think it starts with ourselves. It starts with what i what I started saying initially, what is your relationship to sex? What were the messages that you grew up with around sex? but something to? you know, was there some shame around it? Did you I'm kind of unpacking that? So unpacking your beliefs around sex. And it really starts with also your body. How do you feel about your body? Do body love? Do body shame? Um, what? What? And there's you know exercises you can do to really get comfortable. And I do believe that having a healthy masturbation practice is part of uh, is a is a is a cornerstone of sexual health and wellness. Understanding your body, what makes you feel good, because our partner's not going to do it for us. I mean, we are responsible for our own pleasure at the end of the day, and being able to show up, you know feeling confident in our bodies. And again, I hate to say like it's not even body love. It could be body like. It could be body acceptance. I understand that. I'm not you know there's people like oh stand in the mirror and and I do believe in mirror exercises, but even if you don't love your body, you can say look at look at what my body can do. Mm-hmm. What do you love what do you like about your body today? And getting familiar with I often tell women to take a mirror and to take a look and look at look at their vagina, look at their vulva and get and, and get curious about it and start to explore and play because the ideas that we have about our bodies are not anywhere near reality because, if, you know, so many women are shamed for their body parts or mm-hmm. it's disgusting or it's dirty or it's wrong. And women, I always joke, I'm like, women, like, could you pick your vagina out of a lineup? Like if it was on a wall, <laughs> would you know what it looked like? You know? And it's like, oh, oh my God, that's a great question. What do you think the statistic would be on that? I think it's like zero. I've asked so many. I think it's like less than whatever. Zero women I've ever asked said they could. Well, this is an interesting
0: question. And what do you think uh, that men would say? Would men be able to pick out their penis?
2: I thought they could because I always thought men are looking down. They're more into their penises. But I've also found that a lot of men don't think they could. Wow. More, more men could than women, but there's still a certain love hate relationship. A lot of us have, you know, with our bodies, you know, Mm -hmm. or even if we, after sex or after orgasm, we might feel this sudden like dread or shame or disgust afterwards. So I think the more we make peace, so sexually healthy starts with healing the relationship you have to your body and to your, how you identify as a sexual being. Like how do you make How do you make that? Okay. That's also a journey. If you don't snap your fingers, it's an ongoing process. And again, as our bodies change over time as what we want over time, it's a practice that you want to keep top of mind and to prioritize it. Like you do all of your other wellness routines in your life.
0: I, I want to say something that I think is really important, which is that I don't believe that sexual health is an absolute construct or that it has white, you know, black and white parameters. I think that what, um, if we had a single definition for sexual health it would it would basically take away people's individuality and the fact that like what's healthy for one person might actually not be healthy for another and actually could be dangerous for another person. Exactly. So having said that which is confusing for people like oh god just give me a give me the single definition like make it really clear but it's not that. It's so it's so much bigger, it's so much more complicated. So with that in mind, let's talk about healthy sexuality. Okay. And really yeah, continue the talk. Cause I know that's what we're starting. like, what does it look like? What, you know, and maybe even like, so what does it look like when we don't have healthy sexuality? Right? Like, how does that feel?
2: Well, okay. So we can just start with what it doesn't look like, I suppose. I mean, when it's not healthy, it's, it's, we're not talking about our boundaries. We're not talking about consent. We're allowing things to happen in the bedroom that don't feel good. We're grinning and bearing it. Sex is more performative. Let's say we are there to show up for our partners you know, we've seen something in porn and we assume that's how sex should happen. We are not really educated around, you know, our bodies or or our sexual health. I think we just sometimes we disassociate the whole time. We're in our heads and we're thinking about, you know, something else other than our partner, which sometimes you know that can be healthy. It can, I'm not gonna shame people for any of that, but but ideally you are present, you are mindful. You are with a partner that you feel safe with. but unhealthy sex, you're not using protection when you actually want to. Just really constantly like allowing your boundaries over sex to be railroaded, but really it's hard with understanding your boundaries first too. And re- then you have to rebuild well, what does it actually feel like when I touch myself? What do I think about? And so well, right. that's another process, but that's what we that talk goes back to the point about being sexually healthy what's your relationship with your body? Do you know what feels good to you? Nobody else is your partner's not a mind reader. They're not going to show up and know everything that feels good to you. I used to think that Men were shipped off to some secret school where they learned all about my body, and I because I had no idea when I started having sex. I was like, well, you know, and that was a time where it was like, yeah, sex was about men. It was about what they wanted, and they they were the ones we always saw being sexual and masturbating in movies. It was never about women. I mean, I really believe that. I was like, oh, they don't know either. <laughs> I've come. Oh, to- I believe it too. Yeah. It's I think I get sad when I think about so
0: many conversations I had with my friends when we were younger the amount of people that would fake orgasms (sighs) and right and and wanted to just like you said before performative like want it to be over and say like what's I don't understand what this big thing about sex is like I don't. It doesn't,
2: it doesn't feel all that exciting to me. Right. Isn't it funny that we grow up and we hear that sex is going to be this amazing thing and you're going to lose your virginity and you're going to, which we'll go back to that in a minute. I don't love that term. I think it should be your sexual debut where you get to, (laughs) you're just like, here's my debut. It's a big, I'm coming out sexually. Who wants to, you know, maybe you'll come if I trust you, you're invited to my sexual debut party. But (laughs) we are told that if we, that it's going to be this amazing thing, right? We get off and then we have sex and we're like, this is it this is disappointing. It doesn't feel good. I want it to be over, but it's because it's shrouded in mystery. You know, we're told that we can't masturbate or we can't have sex until a certain time. And then we do it. And no, it's again, using another driving analogy, it's like your kid turned 16, and you had him the keys and you sent him off to drive without driver's ed. Well, you That's know, and also, and, and thinking about kids that are learning
0: about sex from porn, you know, and even young, not just kids, like young adults, adults, then, Oftentimes when they get with a real partner, what they thought would work, oh, doesn't yeah. work. And what they thought a woman might like doesn't is not what she actually likes, you know, and there's a real disappointment, like, wait a second, again, there's like a mismatch or a mismatch from reality, like, wait a second, but this is what it looks like in porn. This is what, this is right. how she reacts. Why is she not having an orgasm? Why is this not feeling good? Why am I, why am I not even able to
2: necessarily maintain an erection? Exactly. It is so. It is such a messy situation because then the women are like, well, I, I should pretend I like this because he's doing this and I don't know what else to suggest because I have no sex education. So, yeah, you can choke me or you can do these things that don't actually feel good to me. So there's just a lot of education and exploration that needs to happen, I think, to actually feel in your body and be sexually healthy, to feel embodied. It's, it's some work, some unpacking.
3: So, oh, I was just going to say, so kind of saying it's like, you know, education is a component of healthy sexuality. Tuning into your own body is a component of sexuality, Mm -hmm. being willing to be courageous and share your sexual thoughts and feelings with your partner and getting support maybe from a professional who can help guide you through this process.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think that we, a lot of us, you know, I think most people Would benefit from therapy. And if you are finding that you're in a relationship and you're not able to have these healthy talks with your, your partner, I think it's totally okay to get some help, have someone help you facilitate the conversation. Absolutely. because communication skills are a practice as well. Having active listening skills, playing back what you heard them say and, and what they actually said.
3: And sometimes we don't even know how to start the conversation or we don't even know how to talk about it. Right. Because we it's been shrouded in mystery. Like you were saying earlier, it's like this mystery thing. Now, where do
2: I start? I So all I do is porn. And, and I, now, now you're telling me that's not right. It's funny because talking to one of my friend's sons, he's like 21. And he said, he's really smart kid. He's a, a great school. And he's a total A student. And he ended up having... Some some erectile issues. And he said I said well do you watch porn? He goes yeah, but not a lot. I said well just so you know I told him that that's not actual reality. You have to learn what feels good. He said, "Well, if that's not real sex, Emily, then where do I go to see real sex?" He like he's like I will I will hunker down. And that's why I mean I really will, don't I wish there were better resources right now. And that's something that's also one of my I'm turning around like how do we say this is actually the right, the right way, or this is how you see couples having healthy conversations around sex. You know, here's a role-playing scenario, you know, and, and I do that sometimes on the show, like I'll give people scripts about talking about their, their, their fantasies um, and how to play it back. Cause sometimes you might have a fantasy and your partner's fantasy is very different, but there's also ways it's like, you can create one that works for both of you just because maybe there's a particular fantasy that your partner not by, might not be into. It doesn't mean that you can find a new one together. I don't know. I just think all hope is not lost. It's about kind of co-creating your sex life together. That's a great
0: segue back into like working, working to reintegrate sexuality for a couple whose relationship has been traumatized by betrayal, right? Because they do, they need to, they need to co-create this. Both of them have actually been wounded in different ways, but wounded and the relationship's been traumatized, but they have the same goal. Right, which is to hopefully be able to rediscover sex and bring that back into their lives. But they must co-create this together. And that requires, well, the safety and the rebuilding of trust and being willing to be vulnerable and all of these things. So here's a question for you as the sex expert. Uh-huh. So if you have a couple and they are at the point in their recovery or their healing journey from betray- you know after betrayal, where they are wanting to bring sex back in most are not willing to jump in. Now some do, but most are, um, are really going slow. They're scared. Right. So what are some exercises that you feel are helpful with reestablishing safety? You know, nothing that would involve like intercourse or anything like really, like really even about sex, sex, but thinking more about intimacy and communication and vulnerability. What are some of those exercises that you think are helpful for couples?
2: Yeah, it's a great question. And I love what you're saying about, you know, just take intercourse off the table. You know, sex isn't really all about penetration. If I could rebrand sex, believe me, I would I, that's one thing. You know, the penis is not analogous to the vagina. It's for women, it's mostly about the clitoris. If you look at the erectile tissue and the clitoris, it's more similar to a penis. So um, if we just had sort to of say, okay, let's not even have get into intercourse and all that, but let's start a new process of discovery. A great way to start if they're at this phase is is um, touching for your own pleasure and touching for your partner's pleasure is a great exercise. So you could say tonight, we're going to spend 15 minutes or half hour and I'm just going to massage you. Because a lot of times sex, it's very hard to receive pleasure. And so you touch them and you're really, so the partner who's massaging can get some wonderful massage oils and you could say, I'm just going to touch your body and you're going to tell me where it feels good. And you don't have to give anything back to me in return. And tonight I'm just going to touch for you know your pleasure, and 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 there's an exercise I learned in my somatic training. It was like touching for your pleasure, his pleasure, her pleasure. But I think it's really about being mindful at the end of the day when you are truly giving to your partner pleasure. You're giving them, and it could be doesn't to be your turn? Even if you don't feel like I don't know how to massage. No, you're just it's touch. It's experimenting. You know, maybe you slow down. You play with their, you know, massage their hands, their back, have them flip over, and just start to see. When and, and breath is really important. And then the receiver can just you know kind of you say, well, that feels good. That doesn't feel good. Let your partner know. And then the next night you can flip and the partner, the other partner can receive. And, and maybe if it goes into something else, that's great. But I think that this point is like just getting familiar with touch again. And if that is too slow for you, another great tool is mutual pleasure. So mutual masturbation where you're both, where you're both, you know, doing the things that feel good to you. So you're, you're masturbating and you're, it's really a great exercise because it's, It can be really hot to see what your partner does and to see them in the throes of ecstasy. You know, they're going to have an orgasm. It's a sure thing, but it's also educational. Oh, I didn't realize that you held your hand in this position or this felt good to you. I didn't realize that playing, stimulating your breasts was part of it. And, and so you can learn too. And it's a way to, to, feel aroused and be in your body with a partner you feel safe with and kind of rebuild that trust that way. So I think the slower, and then that also builds anticipation. 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 So if you take a week and you're like, well, one day we're gonna, I have something called a, um, a yes, no, maybe list on my website at sexwithemily.com. It's a list of all these sexual, all the sex, it could be cuddling, it could be spooning, it could be spanking. And you each can go through and fill that out. What's your yes, what's your no, what's your maybe you might find there's some mutual yeses on there. Well, what a great, I love I love, um, I love, love spooning too. We never spoon anymore at night. Should we spoon more? That really turns me on. Oh, you're a maybe about dirty talk. Oh, I am too, I'm a little nervous. And then it's just like a menu of where, so that it's also, because a lot of this taking it off, taking the actual intercourse off is, how do we communicate and how do we explore and how do we play together um, again? So that's one place to start. You know what's
0: amazing to me is we can have sex, right? Someone can actually, now I'm talking about here a heterosexual couple, right? A, a woman can have the experience of having a man in, put his penis inside of her and be as close physically as two humans can possibly be. And that's okay. But then the talking about sex is like, oh my God, I can't talk about this. But it's I've always thought that that's insane. Right, like we're more comfortable having our body be embraced by another person, taken over, like having somebody inside of you. But oh God, I can't talk about what feels good or what I like. You know, I I can't talk about that. I can't. No, whatever you want to do, that's fine.
2: What you're doing is great. It's fine. Good. (laughs) You know, it's right. I know it's it's amazing because you know, and I've thought a lot about this. It's like it's it's there's first off, we don't have any role models. Our parents didn't talk about it. We didn't talk about it in school, our friends didn't talk about it, but maybe just to say, did you have sex? Did you not have sex? What happened? We would give a play by play, but there's no real genuine, you know, authentic, informative, educational, and accurate conversations around sex that are supportive, that are, you know, that, that I think that feels safe to people. And so, so here we are, no one's ever talked about it. In fact, when it was talked about, it was something that was sort of wrong. It was taboo. Maybe I felt shamed for talking about it, you know, slut shame. There's some women I know, and I, hopefully this is changing, but they feel like yeah. they actually talk about what they want and They're going to be perceived as being way too sexual or having yeah. too many partners. And I think that it's, it's a muscle, like learning to talk about sex is it, it's, it might be really shameful. At first, you might be really embarrassed. Um, but if you say that, like, here's the thing, it's like naming it and saying, okay, when you have the timing, tone and turf, right? You say, you know what? I I want to talk to you about something and it's, I'm really nervous. It's a, I, I realize we've never talked about our sex life. I actually have never talked about it with anybody. But I, I happen to know that if we can find a way to do this together and really listen to each other and really hear what each other's saying and, you know, repeat back and, and just kind of check in that I believe that this could be the key to us Unlocking our sexual potential. Would would you be on board with that? You know, and sometimes you need to be enforced. Say this is not because you're doing anything wrong. Because the other reason why we don't bring it up is we have no role models, and then we we are we go to. Well, if I bring it up, I'm going to hurt their feelings. If I bring up that something they're doing doesn't feel good, or I want something, they're going to feel threatened. And the truth is, that happens sometimes because no one's ever brought it up to us. So if you're giving me feedback on something and no one said anything, I must be failing miserably. So there has to be a lot of like a safe container, reinforcing what you love about it. That's why I think coming to a conversation with the things that are working for you, even if it's make just kissing, even if it's hand-holding, eye-gazing, come with what does feel good if you have those things and um, start from there.
3: And take your time and, and do it at a pace that feels right yeah. for you and- like you said earlier, this is a journey that you can grow together and enrich your life together. It's it's just worth doing and it's worth yeah. taking that first scary step to just bring up the topic. Exactly.
0: And you know, for a lot of couples that I've worked with, something I've seen which is really interesting and quite wonderful is that prior to the discovery of a, a sexual betrayal, there was actually not a lot of talk about sex and really not the expression that, you know, and communication and vulnerability and all of that around sexuality. And then as a result of this horrible thing that happens, right, the betrayal, now it's like, no, we're going to talk about this, and no way am I going to do that thing that I didn't like before, and I'm not going to tolerate that thing that I was tolerating before. And so it can actually, I think one of the gifts, and I really hope people are able to hear this in the spirit of hope, um, is that truly the experience of betrayal can, if you heal together, if you're on this this path of healing, you can actually change things that you never would have thought to change earlier, right? Like you can end up becoming the kind of lovers that maybe you would have wanted to be, you know, when you got married or earlier on in the relationship.
2: Right, I mean, yeah, absolutely. I think it's such a great opportunity for couples to start, it could be like your day one, because I do believe that when couples learn to communicate about sex, their sex life become, is so, so much healthier, so much more satisfying. There's not as much tension and drama and stress around it. They know what to expect. They're on the same page. There's consent. There's I mean, there's definitely, you know, our needs are getting met. We were breaking bad habits. I think couples who actually really get into it and learn to have this dialogue, realize that they don't want their other sex life back, that it really wasn't wasn't what they wanted, that it was sort of leftover behaviors that they actually once you sort of you know have time to analyze it, you think, oh, that actually that wasn't me. That that and and so what what a a great journey in this is figuring out like who am I as a sexual being? This is what makes me feel sexy. This is this is actually what I want to wear during sex or what I toys I want to use and or this is the things I want to say. And and it's just it's so empowering and it can be so beautiful for couples. Who can get stronger from this? It's just you have to both be willing to put in the work. And that can be hard when there's one person who doesn't want to talk about it. I mean, I can't tell you how many of my callers say, Well, I tried to talk about it. My partner just won't. She stopped shut. You know, he stopped, shut me down. She she said, You know, she'll never talk about it. And I was like, I hate to say this, but the truth is, you can't opt out of your sex life. If you're in a committed relationship, like that's part of it. I'm not saying it's your duty to perform three times a week, you got to get on the bed. but. It is part of the unspoken, which I wish we could speak about more, responsibilities to be intimate, to be connected, to be good lovers to each other, and then getting to define what that looks like. But just to say, I'm never talking about it, we're never having it again, is just unfair. You can't change the rules. You can't say, oh, I'm no longer gonna right. parent. I'm no longer paying the mortgage. I'm sorry, I didn't tell you that. I'm you know, moving out. Like, well, over time that kind of shutdown and refusal to talk really is abusive. It is abusive. It really is. And the thing is why it's so complicated because it's not even like, let's talk about, I mean, there's a lot of things people don't want to talk about money. They don't want to talk about abuse. There's a lot we don't want to talk about. But with with sex, it's even harder because of of the reasons we've discussed. So it's like, well, we're having a problem and now you want me to talk about something I've never talked about in 30 years? Like that that's wrong and shameful and what? So again, it goes back to starting at the beginning. You know, what's our relationship to it? here's how I feel about it. How do you feel about it? And it's very, it's very healing. And I think it's the way to go for most, even if they're having a great sex life right now, I think you can always have even more connected sex, even get even more out of it than what you, where you're currently at, which is good news.
0: That's great news. Um, and then this is gonna sound like a Debbie Downer kind of comment, but what I'm thinking, again, I'm thinking about the clients that I work with yeah. every day and a lot of our listeners, cause we get a lot of feedback. Yes. And for a lot of them, sadly, sex becomes the demon. You know, like with sex addiction, for instance, or sexual betrayal, it's instead of looking at it as no your partner's relationship to sex was really troubled or that was damaged you know or some that wasn't a good thing but sex itself is not the demon and so for a lot of women who did have a healthy relationship to their their own sexuality prior and who thought you know who who thought that sex was wonderful and their birthright and all of these things oftentimes they now have to repair their own relationship with sex because they look at sex as a bad thing
2: right that's where you start with. I mean, I think that's why it's therapy. It's education. Listening to positive, you know, listening to your podcast. A lot of people listen to my podcast. I, it's a lot about sex with Emily. A lot about this, like how do we become sexually confident again? How do we get to know our bodies? How do we, how do we ask for what we want? Um, I think that you can rebuild these relationships, but you have to have consciousness around it and know that it's possible and that it might not look like what it looked in the past. You might decide that penetration just off the table. You might decide that you no longer want to receive oral sex. You might decide dirty, you know, that's, and it's all okay. But you have to go in and, you know, I believe do this kind of work, especially if you've had trauma or an assault. I I do think the best way is in therapy, trauma therapy, you know, EMDR can be a fabulous tool for people I think that's a great one. What else have you taught? I mean, I love EMDR. I'm a fan.
3: And just believing, you know, like what you're saying is just believing that it is possible to heal. I mean, we all know that and it's sometimes hard and difficult, but just take the first step and, and move into that process and just summon as much courage as you can and, and start to walk there. Cause it's, yeah, it's exactly. so worth it at the other side.
2: It is so worth it. And I think that people forget that too. In which the, the, the beautiful part of that is once you're able to actually move through it and get, you know, start to on your journey on your path, because remember like sex is not a destination, you know, it's definitely a journey that you, you realize that it, it's almost like unpacking this whole gift. If you can really get into it and be patient that you're like, you learn so much more. It can be so much more than you ever thought. The, our bodies are so powerful. We have so many so many nerve endings that can feel incredible that we've just shut down, especially if we've like been walking around in a trauma state, an anxious state, we've been clenching. So many, 80% of women have vaginal pain and they just sort of silently suffer. They think, well, this is just my lot in life. And for some women, that could be trauma-related from a clenching, from a tucking of your pelvic floor. And there's, you know, practices for that as well, that you can kind of really open up again. And so it's like trapped energy, trapped trauma, you know, and then your body's reacting to it as well. I mean, it's all related. And so I think the sooner, you know, you start on your own journey, and if you're not in a relationship, people think, oh, well, I'm not in a relationship. I'm not sexual. Like, this is such a great time to do your work. When you're not in a relationship, you know, what does feel good to you sexually? Start exploring, start, you know, finding stuff that's, you know, that's interesting to you. What are your erotic, what are your erotic ideas, your fantasies, what's your core things that do turn you on? Like you can get, you can rebuild a relationship to it. You can, a new relationship to it that actually does work, but it's all a journey. It's
0: a journey. And so I think, I know, I know we have to start to wrap up, but there's one thing that I, I, I must say, cause I think I'd be very remiss in having a conversation about sexuality, uh, in the aftermath of betrayal, if I did not, talk about, which is you mentioned the word consent quite a few times. And oftentimes when we hear consent, we immediately think of, or, or non, non-consent, we think of rape, right? Or sexual yeah. assault. And I don't know if you've heard this before, Emily, but many, many, many women who have been betrayed by their most intimate partner feel as though they have been raped. They use that term. And the reason is because they say there was not true consent, right if 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 i had known what he was doing if i had had any clue about what all like all of these secrets i never would have agreed to be in a sexual relationship to begin with so i couldn't true consent was not possible so that just goes back to yes there's so much hope and I, I, we wouldn't do this podcast we wouldn't be talking to people like you if we didn't have hope i just also want to validate how difficult it is for these individuals to repair and to even feel safe enough to try to repair again after this kind of betrayal of really thinking like, oh my God, the person I felt so, that was going to protect me more than anyone actually um,
2: kept me from even being able to make an informed decision about my own body. Right. Right. And then consent is a really, is a tricky one too. You're absolutely right. And you can, I I think once you understand that consent doesn't, it's such a, Oh, it's, consent isn't sexy. Now I got to stop and say, ask yes, if I can kiss you and I can ask if I can take your shirt off, I'll forget it. But I found that couples who work with consent in a healthy way, it actually becomes part of the arousal, part of the turn on. You can say, you know, once you get to this point, I mean, because consent can also be going, you, first off, you have to slow everything down when you're using consent. And it might be like, does it feel good when I touch you here? Does it feel good when I touch your elbow? Does it feel good? And to slowly be able to really get into your body and say, you know, this is what feels good. You know, even just checking in to see p- if pleasure is still present can be sexy because then you're both tuned into what it what it feels like. And so and you're, you're tuned into your body. And so, you know, when, you're, when you do feel safe with consent and you learn to kind of rebuild it, you realize that it, it takes away a lot of the anxiety because you know that you're in a relationship where you are slowly you're you are practicing consent even if it's moment to moment. And I feel like someone's saying like I'm I'm thinking about you know what it would be like right now to undress you. I'm thinking about you know and that that could be kind of hot the way you the way you you talk about it, but then you know it's coming next. They've said that. And then you can still say, oh, thank you for shit. I actually really want to slow it down. I mean, consent can also mean not now. People think that consent has to be a clear yes or no. And right. I want everyone to understand that it, there's also the spectrum. It could be not now. Let's take a beat. Let's go back to kissing for a minute. I want to get some water. Um, right now, I think I just want to slow it down. Right now, I think I want, you know, but, but then, you know, with the absence of consent is not a yes, but when you're constantly living in this consent space, you're able to communicate moment to moment or, you know, session to session, what you actually want. And every time you have sex to be able to make that part of your repertoire, at least at the beginning, like, so what are we thinking? What are you into right now? I thought this would be really hot if we could do this. And then you could say, oh, well right now I'm feeling more like this. Great. And the amazing thing is once couples learn to work with consent in a healthy way, It's actually can really fuel your sexual desire because you're not worried about being shut down and trying something and your partner's going to reject you. You have a roadmap. So you're not thinking, oh, what do I do next? And what happens next? You kind of know what you're, you're, you're setting the stage for this sexual experience. And so you know what's okay on either side of the, you know what you both want and desire. And it could actually be like much more pleasant when you know what you're in for. And what you both have consented to rather than worrying about it or just skipping over it altogether.
3: Well, Emily, I want to thank you so much for coming on to the Helping Couples Heal podcast and just having this conversation and just opening the dialogue around all of this. So if our listeners want more information about you, how can they find you?
2: So I have a podcast called Sex with Emily. It's available on all podcast platforms. We release two to three a week, and I'm also on SiriusXM Stars. It's five to seven p.m. Monday through Friday. And if people have any questions, even if you don't have Sirius, the lines are open at those times. And my website, sexwithemily.com, and all social media, Sex with Emily. Awesome. And,
0: Emily, before you go, what's one thing that you would just want to leave our audience with one one idea? Knowing you know knowing who they are and what they're, what they're dealing with, what they're recovering from, what they're trying to heal. Is there just sort of a
2: a final thought you have that mm-hmm. you'd like to share with them? Yeah. My final thought would be, uh, there's two things I thought of, but the first thing is to, um, I would say we rebe- well go five times slower. I mean, I already said that earlier, but I think that, that one of the best advice I can give is it comes to sex and really a lot of things to slow down the entire process whether it's the conversation you're about to have sex whether it's the sex act in general because a lot of times we rushed right through penetration we rushed through sex but when you actually are with someone and you tell them, I want to go slow, I want to breathe, that's when you're also able to really be more present in your body, to be mindful. You won't feel like you got railroaded by sex because you are both truly in, in, in the moment together. And I think that slowing down when you are learning to revisit sex or be a sexual being allows you to inform yourself what feels good and also have clear boundaries and consent with your partner. So- that's what I think and also mindfulness practice I mean I really think that that's the other thing a lot of us are so distracted during sex I would say having a healthy mindful practice of even just being able to pay attention to all your senses in the moment when you find your minds going different places what are you feeling hands on my partner's body what am I seeing my you know what am I smelling and that it can also anchor you in the moment to be present for sex
3: awesome Emily thank you so much for coming on
2: Thank you for having me. This was a joy. This was really wonderful.
0: Thank you so much for taking the time. And I look forward to seeing you hopefully soon. I can't wait. Yeah.
1: Thank you for listening to the Helping Couples Heal podcast, where your healing is the number one priority. If you'd like additional resources about betrayal trauma or to learn more about the workshop, please visit helpingcouplesheal.com. If you're finding the podcast helpful, please support Dwayne and Marnie in continuing to reach others impacted by betrayal trauma. If you are finding the podcast helpful, please support Marnie and Dwayne in continuing to reach others impacted by betrayal trauma by leaving a review on iTunes and sharing this podcast with someone you care about. Once again, thank you for listening. We're grateful for your trust and look forward to continuing to support you on your journey of healing.